It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter what's going on with the financial markets. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. It doesn't matter what's happening in the church. Nothing can thwart this one unrelenting purpose of God from being accomplished if you know what it is, which is that his life might be resident in you and his life might be expressed through you. Hey, it's great to have you with us today. I'm Mike Atkins. It's my prayer that as we open God's Word together, our hearts would also be open to a life-changing truth that Christ in us is truly our hope of glory. His love is absolutely amazing, and He longs to do so many wonderful things through us. I'm thankful for this time together and for the Lord's work in your life. You'll find more information in the show description and at MikeAtkinsMinistry.com. So glad you're here. I keep wanting to point us higher than the things that are going on around us because there's so much that is just vying for our attention, so many distractions, so many voices so loud that are just pulling us down to the temporal that I keep wanting to raise our eyes, our attention, our focus to the eternal because I'm convinced that the temporal, as the scripture says, is just that. The things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And why would I focus my primary attention on things that are temporal when I have the opportunity to set my mind, my affections, my thoughts, my perspectives on things which are eternal? Those things are unchanging. They've been unchanging since, since the beginning and foundations of the earth, since Christ walked the earth. They're still unchanging today. And those are the things I really want us to focus our heart on. So I was thinking about this one unrelenting purpose. And to begin with, I was thinking about the idea of the mission of Christ. When Christ came to earth, what was his purpose in coming? There are many people that wanted to assign a purpose to Christ. We've talked about that before. But Jesus refused to allow men to assign his purpose because he had a purpose already within him when he came to earth. Even before the foundations of the earth, he already had within him a purpose and a design. And that purpose was what he had set his attention to from the very beginning of time. And so he was unrelenting in fulfilling and working towards, and I will suggest to you, remains unrelenting today in the fulfillment and the seeking of the fulfillment of that purpose. But sometimes we can look at the means which Christ employed in order to achieve his one purpose, and we can think that the means were the purpose themselves. But as is, we often use the terminology, there is a means to an end. And the means that Christ employed and the actions that he took were all revolving around and centered on a single purpose. And that single purpose is still what he ultimately is engaged in in everything that he does. Whatever means he employs, he's still engaged in this singular purpose. But let's look for just a moment at some of the means that he engaged, some of the things that Jesus did that were a part of achieving his ultimate purpose. For example, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.15, I'm not going to turn to these, I'm just going to speak to them. He says that he came to save sinners. Paul the Apostle was speaking. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the chiefest, Paul declared. So we know that he came to deal with the actions or the problems of sins, the actions of sins in the plural. Uh, in another place in Hebrews 9.26, it says that he came to put away sin, singular, by the sacrifice of himself. So here he's not just talking about the actions of disobedience, but the principle of iniquity, the very principle of disobedience within the heart of man. He came to address that. But again, this was not his ultimate purpose. These were the means to the ultimate purpose. For example, it says in Hebrews chapter 2 that he came to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. 
he took on flesh and blood so that he might destroy him who had the power of death and free those who all their life had been terrified about the idea of death. So this was a means. He was destroying the, the uh, activity of the one who had the power of death. Uh, John chapter 18, verse 37, it says, he came to bear witness to the truth. Later, we learn that his, the word of God is truth. So this was part of what Jesus came, to bear witness to the truth, to destroy him who held the power of death, to put away sin uh, by the sacrifice of himself, to save sinners. We also see one of the most uh, familiar verses of Scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, this word to destroy there, it means to, to unbind. It means to set free, to discharge from, to dissolve, to break up, to annul, to subvert, to do away with, to deprive of authority, to declare unlawful, to demolish, to overthrow. And it says he came to do that to the works of the devil. Well, the works of the devil, the word ergon, it means business, the employment, the enterprise, the industry, the undertaking, the acts and the deeds. In other words, it says that the means that he employed to accomplish his purpose, which we haven't gotten to the purpose yet, we're going to get there. But the means that he employed included annulling and unbinding and dissolving and breaking up and subverting and doing away with and depriving of authority all of the business, the employment, the enterprise, the industry, the undertaking, the acts and the deeds of the devil. This was a part of the means that he employed, but this was not the primary purpose. These were things that had to be done that primarily spoke to the elimination of obstacles to his primary purpose. It says in Luke chapter 4, he came to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These were actions that he took in order to get to his primary purpose. In Mark chapter 10, 45, it says he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke chapter 19, it says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So all of these, and we could go on and on for an hour, just talking about the scriptures that speak of the means that Christ employed in order to accomplish or achieve his ultimate purpose. It's this ultimate purpose, this unrelenting, this one unrelenting purpose that is so critical for us to understand as believers. Because if we confuse the means that Jesus employed, which was predominantly to eliminate obstacles to the purpose, if we confuse the means or the obstacles being eliminated as the actual purpose, then we'll get off track. It's the ultimate purpose that we ultimately want to understand because this purpose is the thing that Jesus is still actively, committedly, unrelentingly committed to in our lives today. So let's think about this. Now let's go to Romans chapter 5. I had you turn there at the beginning. Romans chapter 5, and I want you to see what it says in verse 9. Let's go to verse 8, Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall now be saved by his life. Now, here is the critical identifier of two things. The means that he employed and the obstacles that had to be removed were one thing, but the reason why he employed those means and why he removed those obstacles is something completely different. He did one thing so that he could do another. 
he reconciled us to the Father by his death so that he could save us by his life. I'm going to tell you, saints, you can be in church your whole life and you can work hard to live a life, to try and please God. You can work hard to live your life for Jesus, as we've talked about, in at gratitude and thanksgiving for what he did and dying on the cross for you. But if you miss this one unrelenting purpose as to why he did it, if we miss this, then in a sense, we've missed the ultimate purpose for which it all was done. All the works of Christ, all the activity of Christ on the earth. Why did he come? What was the true mission that he was seeking to achieve? Well, we see this here when it says, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How did that happen? Well, it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that we were justified by his blood. All of that had to do with the removal of the obstacles. Things had to be removed first. Our sins, plural, the individual acts of disobedience had to be dealt with by the blood. Our sin, the spirit of iniquity, the, the sin nature that was within us had to be dealt with by the death of Christ on the cross. The handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us, had to be taken out of the way and nailed to the cross in Christ's own body. The Bible says that the enemy, we were, if the gospel is hidden from any man, it's because the God of, the world, of this world has blinded their eyes so that they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So the, the, the Lord had to deal with the enemy. That's why the Bible says that all the way back to Genesis, there was the prophecy that Satan would strike the heel of the Messiah, but that while he was striking the heel of the Messiah, the Messiah would crush the head of the serpent. So he had to destroy the works of the devil to annul them, to unbind men from the works of the enemy, to deliver them out of the hand of the adversary. All of these things were part of the reconciling work of Christ. And all of the means that he employed, the cross, the blood, the confrontations with Satan, the crushing of the head of the serpent, going into the grave itself and then bursting the bonds of death, all of these actions, all of them had an ultimate, one single ultimate unrelenting purpose. The purpose was that he might bring into us a thing called life. Life, eternal, everlasting, immortal life, the life that God himself alone possesses, coming into the heart of man was the goal for which all of these means were employed. And all of these obstacles were defeated and taken on by the great power of Christ. But all of that was done in order to set the stage for this one unrelenting purpose to be realized, which was that we might be saved by his life. Life was the goal. Life was the purpose, not the death of Christ. The death of Christ was the means he employed to remove the obstacle that existed between man and his eternal life, God's own eternal life. So this obstacle that had to be removed, which was sin and the enemy and death itself and the great, all these things were moved out of the way by the power of Christ so that his ultimate purpose could be realized, which was the impartation of life. This is so important to me because I want you to know that Christ's goal in your life is not merely the elimination of something old. It is the introduction of something completely new. He's not just trying to get rid of something in your life. Anything he ever tries to get rid of is simply because he's trying to introduce his life into that thing. And whatever he's eliminating is something that's an obstacle to his life. So everything that he has been about from the very beginning of time 
relates to this idea. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn with me. I didn't intend to do this, but let's just turn real quickly to Genesis chapter 3. Turn with me really quickly to Genesis chapter 3 before we get into this a little further. And I want you to see in Genesis chapter 3 that there is a picture here of the work of the Lord. And this picture is so powerful to me because what it reveals is how God's intention has always been for man to experience life. It's actually in Genesis chapter 2. Look at Genesis chapter 2, and it says in verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, Genesis 2, 8, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Notice what he says here. The tree of life was also in the midst. The word midst means in the center of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time to talk about this. I don't have the time to do that. But I want you to notice that in the center of the Garden of Eden, where God had given man authority and where he had called him to till this land, in the center, in the center of that garden, there was a tree called the tree of life. At the center, at the center of God's purposes, for man has always been the impartation of a thing called life, a life that man could not and did not possess apart from God himself. Now, going back then to the book of John, let's go to the book of John now, and I want us to start. I would just look with me in John chapter 1. We're going to go through several verses here real quickly, not take a lot of time with this. But I want to remind you that God's unrelenting purpose was singular. It was to give and to impart within the heart of man life. Everything else that he ever has done is simply to remove the obstacles to that singular purpose. Now look, for example, with me. Let's just look at these quickly. John chapter 1 and verse 4. Speaking of Jesus, we're talking about the mission of Christ, his unrelenting purpose. Look what it says in Genesis 1 verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because in him there was something called life, and it was this life that was the light of men. This was the purpose for which he came. Look what it says, for example, in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and in verse 5, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, the great religious leader. And he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, for that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then notice what he says over in verse 15. Whoever believes in him, speaking of Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 16 God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What was the goal? The impartation of life, not just the elimination of sin, not just the, the uh, forgiveness of man, not just the defeat of the enemy. All of those were the obstacles to the one unrelenting purpose, which was the impartation of life into the heart of man. Look what it says in John chapter 4. Here Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. In verse 10, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now she speaks and says, You know, I'd love to have living water, so I don't have to drink from this well again. And then Jesus says in verse 14, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This is what he wanted man to experience, was ever 
lasting life. What he wanted them to have was everlasting life. Look what it says in chapter 5, chapter 5 and verse 40. When here Jesus is speaking again, he says in verse 39, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. This is what Jesus wanted. He said the scripture is can point you to life, but the scripture is not the source of life. I'm the source of life. I'm the one who has come that you might have life. If you believe in me, I'll put within you a well of everlasting life. This is the purpose for which he came. In him was this life, and this life was the light of men. Look what it says in verse chapter 6, and look at verse 32, in 6 verse 32. Jesus is speaking, and he speaks to the disciples, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. Moses gave you bread, but it wasn't bread from heaven, he says. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life, gives life to the world. And they said, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, Jesus says, the manna in the Old Testament, that gave sustenance to the physical body. But Jesus said, I came down from heaven. My purpose in coming down from heaven was to give life to the world. Apparently, from God's perspective, perspective, God, the world did not have this kind of life that he came to give. Now, look what it says in John chapter 6 and verse 63. Here, Jesus is speaking and he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to, they are spirit and they are life. Are you getting this? I, I want to keep speaking this over you for a minute. Here's why. I want you to understand what this life is that Jesus came to give. But to get to that point, I need to make sure you understand this, that Jesus employed means to remove obstacles, but the means and the obstacles he removed were not the purpose. The purpose that he employed the means and removed the obstacles was to impart this life, a life that man did not possess prior to this. I want to tell you now, John chapter 14, I'm going to skip a few verses here. Let's go on to John chapter 14, verses we know, but I wonder the extent to which we have really considered the impact and the importance of what this is really saying to us. Here in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what Jesus is saying is, I didn't just come to give you life. I didn't just employ all of these means, the cross, the blood, the crushing of the head of the serpent, going into the grave, rising. I didn't just employ these means to remove the obstacles, to give you a thing called life. I employed these means and removed these obstacles to give you life itself. And now he says, I am that life that I came to give you. It's not something separate from me. What I came to give you, what I came to impart to you was me in you. So many times and so many believers view the concept of eternal life as something that God gives us separate from himself, as though life is just this sort of force or substance that he gives us as a result of our faith in what he did for us. But can I tell you something, saints? 
what he did for us was so that he could then do something in us. He cannot and does not impart to us eternal life as a force. He imparts to us life itself, which is contained in him. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the bread of life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. He does not give us something separate from himself for us to have this life that he came to give. He has to impart to us his own self. Now look what it says, for example, in 1 John chapter 5. Look with me at 1 John chapter 5. And I want you to see this even more clearly 1 John 5, verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Praise God. We know it. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that God came to give us eternal life, but listen to me. It says he has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. This life is not separate that he gives us. This life, eternal life, the life that God himself possesses, he came to give it to us by giving us his son in us. To make it clear, look what he says in verse 12. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. The life that Christ has come to give, his one unrelenting purpose for which he employed all of his means to remove the obstacles that would prevent him from being able to accomplish this purpose was that we might have life, but not life separate from him, life that came as of the virtue of him coming into us in order to express that life through us and in us. This is the life that he came to give himself. This is everlasting life, him. This is what it means to have eternal life, is that he has taken up residence in us in order to express this life through us. If we don't get that everlasting life, eternal life, inseparable from himself expressing that life in us, then we will think Jesus came, died on the cross, shed his blood, crushed the head of the serpent, destroyed the works of the devil, descended into the grave, ascended from heaven, has gone into heaven itself, seated at the right hand of the Father, and now has bestowed upon us a substance, a force, called everlasting life, and has entrusted it to us to live it and draw upon it in order to live our life for him. When in fact, he has employed all of these means to remove all of these obstacles that he may then come and take up residence inside of us, bringing with himself everlasting life that then becomes expressed through our human personality through our physiology, but is his life having expression through us. We, in essence, become the light bulb and he's the electricity. We are where his life manifests, but it is his life manifesting. It's not a life that we possess apart from him, but a life that he has brought with him and now wants to express through us and in us. Look what it says in John chapter 5. Let's go back to John 5. Look what it says in verse 26. John chapter 5 and verse 26. Here Jesus again is speaking in the red part of your Bible, and notice what he says about himself. Verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted the Son have life in himself. In other words, 
in the same way that the Father possessed eternal life in himself. It wasn't a life that came from any outside source, but a life that the Father possessed in himself in the exact same way it says the Son, when he was on the earth, had eternal life in himself. It existed in him. Now, he tells us that that same eternal life that existed in the Father, that same eternal life that existed in the Son, in the same way that the Father expressed that life through the Son, now the Son wants to express that life in us. His life, which he possessed in himself, in us being expressed through us. This is not a life we possess in ourself. It's a life that Christ possesses in himself. And now he says, he who has the Son has this life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have this life. So this life is in the Son. In him was life. And that life is the light of men. When we possess him in us, when his life takes up residence in us, that's when this life starts to be expressed. Now, I want you to look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I just have a couple more verses, and I want to draw this to a conclusion. What I want you to see in this is that the Lord had one unrelenting purpose from the beginning of time to this very night, this very moment, and this very place one unrelenting purpose, the impartation of his life in man, the expression of his life through man. He created man in his image after his likeness to be the expression and the place where his life would be revealed and manifested as as one more instrument through which he would play his glory, his majesty, and his might. And he wanted us to be vessels through which his life could be put into that employment. But sin introduced, created a breach between man and God where a holy God and a sinful man could not be the container of his life. And as a result, it created all of these obstacles to God's ultimate purpose and his plan, which was that his life would reside in man and be expressed through us. So Christ came on mission, employing extraordinary means to remove massive obstacles between the impartation of his life into the heart of man. Those obstacles were removed at the price of his blood, of his life, of him bearing the sin of man, of him taking upon himself the very nature of sin, though he was without sin, in order to establish a righteousness in man. But what was the purpose? It wasn't that. That was the means he employed to arrive at the purpose. And the purpose was that then man would qualify having been reconciled, having been made righteous, having been forgiven, having had the, the yoke of bondage of the work of the enemy broken off of him, now man would qualify for this life to be engrafted in him, the life of Christ's own presence in the heart of man. Now, that life being expressed through our unique, one-of-a-kind expression of instrumentality of his life. Look what it says with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We've read these verses, but I cannot tire of this message. I'm like Paul the Apostle in Galatians 4. I, I'm travailing in birth to see Christ formed in the church and formed in the hearts of his people. Look what it says in verse 7. We have this treasure. What is this treasure? It's his life. We have it in these earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 
we in this earthen vessel, we're hard pressed on every side. Can I get an amen? But we're not crushed. We're perplexed. Can I get an amen? But we're not in despair. We're persecuted at times, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. The life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Verse 11, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Here is the astounding truth. We don't serve Christ best by living our life for him. We serve Christ best by dying and letting him live his life through us. We bear about in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifested. In other words, we do the same thing Jesus did in relationship to his father's life. Jesus died to his own will, died to his own plans, died to his own initiatives in order that the life of his father might be manifested in him. The works that I do, he said, are the works the Father's doing. They're not my own. The words that I speak are the words the Father gives me to speak. They're not my own. He died, so to speak, to his expression of his life, that he might be the container of and the expression of the Father's life through him. In the same way, we die to the expression of our life, that the life of Christ might be manifested in our mortal body, literally, it says that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. How does that happen? Listen, it's not the eradication of us. It is the voluntary diminishing of, relinquishing of, surrendering of, yielding of our life to the eternal life of God being expressed through us as we become his vessel. I want to give you a verse of scripture related to this that is so powerful to me. Look at John 6. I want to go back to the book of John. Back in the book of John, Jesus is speaking about spiritual language. He even says the words that I speak are spirit and their life. And he's talking about us eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's speaking about a spiritual idea. But I want you to notice what it says in John chapter 6 and looking at verse 54. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. Bizarre words, it would seem. But what he's speaking about is consuming, living from his life. You know, the Bible says the life back in Leviticus, is in the blood. When we are consuming his life, we are living by his life. It's his energy. It's his strength. It's him, literally, that is being expressed through us. Verse 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now look what it says in verse 57, John 6, verse 57. Listen to these words. Think about this. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. I want you to look at this. This is how it states this in the Amplified Version. Listen to these words. The Amplified Version says, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live by, through, and because of the Father, even so, whosoever continues to feed on me, whoever takes me for his food and is nourished by me, shall in his turn live through and because of me. Jesus is saying, I lived 
you're looking at, as you look at me, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, as you're looking at me right now, I am living because of the Father living through me, because of his life within me. His life is what is being expressed through me. Now, he says, if you will be receive my life, receive me in you, then you will begin to live by me. I'll be the vine, you'll be the branch. The life-nourishing sap of the vine will flow through you from me and will express, I'll express my life in you. Now, all of this is leading to this final critical idea that God yearns for us to understand. Everything we've ever read from Genesis all the way through to this very night, all is about the extraordinary means the Lord employed from Old Testament to New Testament, from the blood of bulls and goats and type and shadow to the blood of the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, the cross, the blood, the shedding of the blood of the lambs in the Old Testament, the symbols, the imagery, the shadows, the, then the coming of Christ, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and Christ in confrontation with the enemy, his overthrow of the kingdom of darkness, his destruction of the head of the sir. All of these things were leading to one thing, the same thing that was at the center of the Garden of Eden. It was life, God's life intended to be in the center of the heart of man. And all of it was leading to Jesus coming and bringing into the heart of man the life of God. Not separate from himself, but contained within himself. And now that he is in us, he is not in us, as I've said frequently through all of these teachings, he's not in us to watch us try and imitate him. He's in us in order for us to watch him express his life through us. We are meant to be the ones who are watching him work, watching his power, his presence, his enablement, his strength to be expressed through us. I can't stop discussing this because nothing is more important for you to know in the days we're living. Nothing is more important than this. Because this work cannot be thwarted by anything going on in the outside world. Nothing that happens. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's in the Kremlin. It doesn't matter what's going on with the weather. It doesn't matter what's going on with the financial markets. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. It doesn't matter what's happening in the church. It doesn't matter what's happening in the, the temperature. It doesn't matter what's happening in the climate. Nothing can thwart this one unrelenting purpose of God from being accomplished if you know what it is and you stop trying to pursue a thousand purposes and commit yourself to the same one unrelenting purpose that the Father has committed himself to, which is that his life might be resident in you and his life might be expressed through you. You know, there are three words in the Greek language for life. One is the Greek word bios. It's the word we get biology from, physiological life. Another is the Greek word psyche. It's the word that we get that means, uh, it can mean a lifestyle or an expression of life. The third is the Greek word zoe. The word zoe is defined in this way. It means the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical which belongs to God, and through him to Christ and those who Christ imparts it to through himself. It means life real and genuine, active and vigorous, eternal and immoral. In other words, Zoe, eternal life, is not 
physiological life. It's not a change of lifestyle. It's the impartation of God's own life in man through Christ, in Christ, and Christ himself expressing it into man and through man. This purpose of God cannot be thwarted by anything happening in this temporal world. And it is this purpose God yearns for the church to commit itself to. Yes, there are obligations and responsibilities. Yes, there are actions and activities. But nothing is a higher purpose than us learning how to cooperate with the life of Jesus with them and allowing, yielding, surrendering to the expression of his life in us. You know, I have one unrelenting purpose to my life today. I can tell you over the course of my life, my brother, my sister, I've had a thousand purposes, a thousand goals. I have, I have been just like you have, captivated and distracted by so many things. Can I tell you, I have one purpose and one goal in my life, and I am unrelentingly committed to it. Every day that I draw breath and I open my eyes and I'm still on planet Earth, I am devoted to this one thing. Jesus, live through me today. Jesus, what is your agenda for your life to be expressed through me today? Not is what is man's agenda, not what is my agenda, not what shouts at me the loudest, not what demands my attention the most, not what most tries to grab me and, 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 and engage me in it. Jesus, what is it that you want to do with your life expressed through me today? That is the only agenda, the only goal, and the only purpose that I am unrelentingly committed to. That is what God did everything for to get his life in you and through you. Why would I let anything pull me away from that which God himself in Christ refused to be pulled away from? This, if the church would do this, lay down our agendas, lay down our strategies, lay down our plans, lay down all of our ideas, lay down all the things that we want to work to do for God and simply start to let him live in us and through us. Oh, how the world would change so quickly. How astounded we would be. How astounded we would be at what God could do in us and through us in our marriages, in our children's life, in our families, in our work, in our churches, in our communities, in our actions, our relationships, in every way. If we would just resign and let Christ live, if we would feed on him and let his life be what is expressed through us. This is my heart's yearning. This is what Paul was travailing in birth for. And this is what I travail in birth for and what saints and, and people throughout the ages have yearned to see happen. Oh, how I yearn to see his life and how he yearns to see his life expressed through us. The, the wonder is that not one thing do we need that we don't have to see this happen. We already have this eternal life. I, you know, I, you go to a funeral and somebody says, our brother has now entered into eternal life. Well, I hope not. Because if he didn't have eternal life in him already, he didn't enter into it when he died. We have already received eternal life. All of this is already in us. Everything we need, Peter said, for life and godliness. We've become partakers of his divine nature. We're already delivered out of the dominion of darkness. We're already translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. His throne is already established in us. His life is seated on that throne. All he's looking for us to do is resign from our labors for him and allow him now to take control and express his life through us.
What is the one unrelenting purpose of the Father from the beginning and before the beginning of time to this moment? It was that we might have his life in us, that he might express his life through us. Father, I know we're dealing in difficult days and much is going on, and it can seem so important, so earth-shattering, the things that are happening in the temple realm. But God, in the end, this one unrelenting purpose of yours has marched through the dark ages. It has marched through the plagues of Europe and history. It's marched through the, the wars and the rumors of wars. Lord, it's marched through the ethnicities and the and the battles of racism, Lord. It's marched through the the rising and falling of powers and even of nations. God, it's never, ever been thwarted. This one purpose that you committed yourself to, that your life might reside on earth in men, that it might be expressed through men, cannot be stopped except by men themselves hindering this life from being expressed. Oh, God, make us vessels of your life. May we bear in our bodies the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus might begin to be expressed and manifested in our mortal bodies so the world might know that you are still alive and that there can be no attribution to the life we are living except that Christ would be alive in us. This is my heart's cry for my own life and for us all. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message has been an encouragement to you. If it has been, please share it. That's all I ask. If you want to find out more, get additional resources, or just get in touch, log on to MikeAtkinsMinistry.com or simply click in the link in the show description. I'm Mike Atkins. I'm looking forward to having you with us again next time.